Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been watching the chair, the chair that appeared to be so broken that it was worthless sitting on the side of the road, and now we're slowly watching the process of it being torn apart, taken apart, being broken, hoping that at some point we're going to start putting some of the pieces back together again. And I want to welcome you into that process of watching layers be stripped off of us this weekend. Now, before we dive in, I want to welcome everybody at 1115. I want to welcome all of you, those of you that are watching online, whether it was snow, Super Bowl, or whatever, we're glad that you've chosen to join us on our journey today. Somewhere along the way, the church in Ephesus started keeping a secret the reason I know the church of Ephesus kept a secret is because Scripture shows us a picture, a before picture in Ephesus and an after picture in Ephesus, and they stand in stark contrast to each other. Ephesus was like an ancient Las Vegas. People would go there and, and they would use the moniker, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but we all know that that's not true. People would go to Ephesus hoping that what happened there would stay in Ephesus, but it just didn't work that way. Ephesus was the largest city in what is now modern-day Turkey, and it was the headquarters of a religion that worshipped the goddess Diana. Temple prostitution was a large part of the city's culture, and into the middle of that broken city, this little group of people shows up. A group of people that had been called out of darkness into light, and a revival broke out in this broken place. The believers were paying a high cost for their faith, but God was working. And, and into that, we see this beautiful before picture of what they looked like. 
Listen to Paul's description of the reputation of these people from Ephesians 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. These people started out loving God and loving people. They loved God because of what he brought them out of, and they loved people because God loves people. And all through the book of Ephesians, Paul keeps pointing to this group of people saying, look at how amazing you're doing. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. As for you, you were once dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says you were spiritually dead. You had no life. You were living a counterfeit, but now you've actually found the real thing. You thought you had love. You found out that it was lust. It wasn't real, but now it's been replaced by the love of God. He says, you were dead. But then in Ephesians 2, he says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He says, now you have this life-giving relationship that has changed everything about you. He says, not only are you alive, but Ephesians 2.19, consequently, you're no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. He says, look at you. Because of your relationship with Jesus, you got a family. You're not on the outside looking in anymore. You're on the inside reaching out. Ephesians 2.22, he goes, And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He says, God has now indwelt you and you've welcomed him into every moment of every day. And he said, you didn't used to do that because Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Paul just keeps saying, look at how well you are doing. The before picture of Ephesus is this. You were dead, but now you're alive. You had nothing. Now you've got everything. You were lost. Now you're found. You were blind, but now you can see. You were broken, but now you are whole. And Paul commends them. He says, you guys are doing fantastic. And then he gives them this little caution. He says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Today, I'd like to invite you to make the most of this opportunity because that's not where the story ends, unfortunately. Somewhere along the line, the Christians in Ephesus started keeping a secret. And the secret was they'd lost their first love. They started taking credit for their own spiritual success. They started to find loopholes in God's commandments. They started declaring themselves the grand exception. And while the first part of their story is pretty amazing, the last part of their story is, is just pretty ugly. Because in Revelation chapter 2, the Spirit of God to John speaks to the same group of people and says this. Here's the after picture of Ephesus. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Ephesus, you lost your first love. I remember the first time I saw my first love in the dining room at Briarcrest College. She had brown eyes, the color of brown. Um, more of a hazel color, to be honest. She had a smile that knocked me over. She had Heather Locklear feathered hair. It was the 1980s, relax, all right? She had a, a light pink shirt with the collar popped. 
I was wearing a light pink shirt with the collar popped. It was God's sovereignty and providence. She was wearing acid wash jeans. Why did we do that in the 80s? I don't know. Some of you still need to go back and repent of your wardrobe from the 1980s. Why would you throw perfectly good, or why would you throw acid at perfectly good jeans? I have no idea, but that was a status symbol back then. I mean, she was there and I was in love. I'd been in like before, but I'd never been in love. We started dating, it started getting serious. And there came this moment when I wanted to profess my love to Laurel Lynette Harder. I've told this story here before. Some of you know what's coming. I summoned all of my human courage and I looked her in the eye and I said, I love you. To which she responded, thank you. (laughs) That's not the response I was looking for. What do you say in return to that? Like, you're welcome. Um, I don't, <laughs> it, was, it was a hard moment. It was a hard moment. But, but God was in the middle of the relationship and, and we slowly but surely fell in love. It was awesome then and after 30 years, we're still working on that stuff together. You know, your first love will always stand out in your mind. Mine's sitting right over there. The first of anything in your life is important, right? Your first job, your first car, your first date, your first kiss, your first broken heart. They're all important because they actually represent milestones in your life. I can tell you, Laurel was my first human love. She, she still is that. That's the before picture, but as it is with so many couples, you kind of go through these different phases in your life. Around year three, we were, we, we were dangling on a, on a difficult edge. We were struggling in our relationship. It was rough. It didn't happen overnight. It's just kind of that drift that happens inside a relationship. And I think it was because in large part, we just started taking each other for granted a little bit. I, I, can, put, uh, I can put words to my own part of it. I, I had misplaced my love of Jesus with trying to please people. Didn't know how to say no. Got my priorities all messed up. And it pulled me in a direction away from what should have been that relationship. I think it happens to all of us over time. The church in Ephesus, they lost their love for Jesus. They replaced that love with just a lot of things that they did and their relationship became a religion. A religion is just when you work through the list and check the boxes and you do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And today we're going to talk through a tough question. Have you lost your first love? Have you lost your first love? Now, there's a question I think that comes out of that. How do I know if I've forsaken my first love? Well, the Bible actually gives us a very clear answer. First John chapter 2 says this. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. There's a large part of our church right now that's walking a very, very difficult journey. 
They're doing 12 steps, a spiritual journey. They, they, they are pushing through of it. Some other people are doing a class called Invaded Lives, which is dealing with all kinds of issues from their past that they're trying to put back in, in, in the right order and the right priority in their heart. Other people are doing um, Stand Firm, which is, which is a, a difficult class to work through. We're just working through some very, very difficult stuff. And, and, and I, want, I, I want to say this to those of you that are willing and that have been taking the 12-step journey. You're my heroes, and I'm proud of you. This is hard, hard work. We need to pray specifically for those that are doing 12 Steps of Spiritual Journey because in about three weeks, they're going to hit step four. Step four involves doing a fearless moral inventory of your own soul. Most people drop out of 12 Steps at step four because they don't want to have to face what they see in the mirror. They don't want to come face to face with the brokenness of their own soul. So most people just walk away from it because it takes unbelievable courage to press in. I'm going to ask you today, would you be willing to do a spiritual step four with me today? Would you be willing to peel back some layers and go somewhere that most human beings don't have the courage to go to? Now I'm going to tell you right on the front end. Something's going to happen when we're done in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to ask you a series of 12-step, step four spiritual questions, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen on the front end. As soon as we're done, the enemy of your soul, Satan himself, is going to come and push your shame button. He's going to try to get you to look at the floor and kick some dirt around because you're going to be thinking in your head, I'm even in worse spiritual condition than I thought I was. He's going to do it. And here's what's heartbreaking. Some of you are actually going to believe what he says about you. I'd like to submit another option to you. What if instead of being filled with shame, what if we thanked God for an opportunity to simply be honest and transparent before him, knowing that he loved you so much, he was willing to go to that cross to prove it to you. We're going to dive into it. I'm going to talk to those of you in the room who profess to be Bible-believing Jesus followers. If you're here just checking out Christianity, awesome. You can sit back and, and watch the rest of us squirm for about the next 12 minutes. Because we're going to dig in deep. And it's probably going to get really, really quiet in here. I'm going to give you some qualifiers about the questions I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to ask you if you're simply doing the things that Jesus has commanded. I'm going to ask you whether or not you love to do it. And that'll become important in just a few minutes. So let's start with the spiritual gut check. Do I love to worship God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do I love to worship Him? I mean, can I not wait to get in here and actually raise my hands and lay my soul bare so that I can tell God just how amazing he is? Or do I just mail it in because that's what we do in the first 22 minutes of, of church. That's what we do, right? We sing for 22 minutes and then Grant gets up and yells at us for the rest of the time and then we go home. Is that how we see worship? The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. The Bible also says God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you walk out exhausted because you are so enamored by the presence of God you can't help but worship him? Do you love to do that? Secondly, do I love to listen to God by prayer and reading his word for wisdom, knowledge, comfort, and guidance? Do I love that? Can I not wait to open my Bible because it's like, it's like bread and water to me. I need it to survive. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Question number three, do I love to talk to God about the needs of others, about my dreams and my trials? Like, can I not wait to have a conversation where I'm both speaking and listening at the same time? Do I love to talk to God, not just about my stuff, but about other people's trials and difficulties? The Bible says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the saints. Ephesians 6.18. Another question, do I love to share my faith in Jesus with other people? Like, do I love to open up my heart and share not about what I've done for Jesus, but what about Jesus has done for me? Christian, can I ask you a question? When was the last time you did it? The Bible says, go and make disciples of all nations. It's an imperative command. Let's keep going. Do I love to steward the financial trust that God has given me by honoring him with the first portion of what I earn out of gratitude and thanksgiving? Do I love to be a cheerful giver? And some of you are just like, that's where I'm going to draw the line, preacher man. You crossed from preaching to meddling. Back off. The Bible commands God's people, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. And some of you are calling time out going, that's Old Testament. Awesome. Let's go New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. See also that you excel in the grace of giving. Let's keep going. Do I love to use my spiritual gifts and abilities to bless my spiritual family and bring other people into a saving relationship with Jesus? The Bible says that we're one great big body and everybody's got a part, which means if you're not doing your part, then the body's not functioning as well as it could be. How about this one? Do I love to be in community with other believers? I mean, do I love to actually connect with other believers or have I fooled myself and, into thinking that I'm the grand exception, I'm an individual, I like to do this on my own. We completely forget that Jesus actually said church is a team sport. First Peter 3.8, finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Last one, if it wasn't already tough enough. Do I love to meet the real needs of those who are poor, sick, persecuted, and in genuine crisis? Do I love to meet somebody else's need or is that an inconvenience to me because I've got a very busy schedule? Matthew 10, to the followers of Jesus, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Let me throw one more in there just because it's fun. Whatever you have done to the least of these, you did to me. Wow. Now remember, I told you what was going to happen. For most of us, we start looking at the floor going, can I speak to those of you who actually were able to look at that and say, but no, Grant, I actually do love doing all that. Thank God you're here. Stay humble and simply remember that it's not you that pulled that off. That's Jesus' good work in you to do that. And it'd be so easy for us just to turn this into a checklist, right? Here's the problem with checklists. They become religion, not relationship. 
You can check boxes and do all the right things for all the wrong reasons and still completely miss the motivator. I mean, Jesus says this in his word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Obedience is unbelievably important, but we also have to look beyond that. It's how it affects other people. God says that when we're obedient to him, it makes us a shining light because we love each other. And that's attractive to people in the world who don't feel loved at all. Listen to this. The Bible says, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. So most of us are sitting here with our, with our list going, ouch. I do some of this stuff, but I can't say I love it. There are four normal responses when you hear really hard truth. The first response is infantile. <laughs> we hear the list and then we're just like, oh yeah, well, and by some of your body language, that, you're right there with me. Okay, all right. The second response is denial. That's where we say, I'm, grand, I'm God's grand exception in this stuff. You can't hold me to this standard. I'm so glad that God said this to everybody else, but he obviously did not mean me. The third is transference. That's when you just get really angry at the messenger for sticking his nose in your business and you write him a really nasty letter. Okay. Here's the fourth one. It's honesty. What if we just had a real open, honest, transparent moment where we got to actually take an inventory of our spiritual soul and not be afraid that somehow God was going to reject us through it, but that instead he was trying to gather us closer to his heart because he wants us to grow. I've been confronted with my own stuff, and I've got plenty more times than I can count in my life, but there are three occasions that stick out in my brain the most. In 1984, my friend David Boys came to me and said, Grant, I'm sick of your hypocrisy. You claim to love God, but by your actions, you deny him. For the love of God, pick a team. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And David wounded me in the most beautiful way because I had to make a decision. I'm either wearing team Jesus or I'm not. Took a moment of honesty. I wasn't wearing team Jesus. I wear this jersey proudly now. In 1988, Dr. Elry Pullman sat me down in his office and said, Grant, I love you, but you are a cocky, arrogant young man. And if you don't willingly humble yourself before God, Jesus will break your leg because he loves you that much. In 1998, Laurel Lynette Fishbook confronted me about my selfishness and my people-pleasing. And we continue to work on those issues every day. Do you know what made their speaking the truth to me really difficult? They were right. Do you hate it when that happens? They were right. God was using them to speak truth into my heart and I had to decide, was I going to welcome that correction or was I going to deflect it? I want to encourage you today as you look at the list, don't deflect it. Be honest about it. So here's the question. What are you going to do with your answers? 
I mean, if you've forsaken your first love, if that's the conclusion you've come to, what are you going to do? I'm going to take you back to Revelation chapter 2. Because after John, through the Spirit of God, says, this is what I hold against you in Ephesus, he actually tells them how to put the pieces back together again. Here's the first thing he says. I need you to remember. Remember the height from which you've fallen. I need you to go back in your mind to that moment when you were so connected with Christ and now I need you to see where you've ended up. Just have a moment of honesty and transparency. Don't let the devil push your shame button. Just be honest about it. Remember, remember. Laurel and I, uh, th- th- this year, gonna, well, we're going to celebrate 30 years together. And after 30 years of ups and downs, what's amazing to me is this. We still have to keep coming back to our wedding vows. We made a covenant before God that we were going to stick together for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. We have to keep coming back to that moment. We have to remember that moment when we stood in front of each other and made a solemn vow, a covenant before God that we were going to stick together. We made a promise and God wanted us to honor that. We needed to remember that moment. So for those of you in the room who are looking at your first love with Jesus, let me just rattle through some things. Do you remember the day when you gave your heart to Christ? Can you remember the day when Jesus found you in your broken condition and gathered you up and pulled you close to himself? Do you remember back to those moments when reading your Bible was like going on a treasure hunt? You just couldn't satisfy the hunger inside of you because it was so unbelievably profound. Do you remember what it felt like to be loved unconditionally, perfectly, to realize that God loved you, not in your best moment, but in your absolute worst moment? Do you remember what it felt like to be completely accepted, fully engaged. Think back. Go back there. Go back to the moment at the foot of the cross when you had an honest, transparent moment of clarity and you realized that the cross proved not just that Jesus died, but that he died because he loved you. Think back to Calvary. Think back to an empty tomb when God said, no more death. I'm drawing a line. And I will welcome the broken and the hurting to stumble across that line and I will catch them. Remember. Secondly, it's a word that's not very popular these days, but it's the word repent. Repent and ask God for forgiveness. If you've forsaken your first love, you may need to come back and say, God, I was wrong. I was wrong. I say that I love you, but there is no evidence to convict me. They say that I love you, but the truth is I don't do what you say. I just showed myself. So God, I repent. I turn away from my way. I come back to living your way. God, I lost my way. Please forgive me. I know that you love me. Help me to love you in return. Then there's one more. Through the Holy Spirit of God, John, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit speaks to John and he says, you need to return. Remember, repent, return. Three R's, nice and tidy, right? By returning, he says this, I need you to do the things you did at first. You know, when Laurel and I were newlyweds, every day was an adventure. Every day was an adventure. We talked for hours, we listened for hours, we learned how to do life together, we spent a lot of time together, we gave gifts to each other, we'd go out together, sometimes just for a walk. 
when we need to reconnect, you know what we still do? We can go for a walk. You know what? It's a miracle, but after 30 years, I still feel the same hand. That's a gift from Jesus himself. And sometimes you got to go back to the things you were doing in the beginning because we just kind of, we just lose it, right? We get distracted. We think it's easier to do this or not do that. We withhold the feeling. We start keeping a secret, whatever it is. And God keeps calling us back to those original moments. You got to come back to it and reach for God. Here's the most beautiful thing about Jesus. If you reach for him, he will not pull his hand away. He's always like this. And he's inviting all of us. Let's go for a walk. Come on, let's go for a journey. You can trust me. I know it's scary. You're going to have to start being honest, but let's go for this journey together. So for those of you that are here today, you're just like, I'm just going to be honest. I kind of lost my first love. This is not theological rocket science. It's just true. Talk to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Share your heart with Jesus. Thank Jesus for Jesus. That's the journey. You know, over time, I think as believers, we, we just get crusty. We just get crusty, right? Because we've been doing this for so long, we, we, we honestly don't really expect anything different. So you guys knew what you were going to get today, right? You're going to come, we're going to sing four songs, and then somebody's going to come out and pray, and then Garrett was going to tell you some announcements, and then Graham would preach, and then at the end he'd cry, and then, um, and then we'd say, we're going to bring the service to conclusion, we're going to give back to God our tithes and offerings, and blah, blah, blah. You know, we might mix up the order a little bit, but that's pretty much what you expect, and you just, that's kind of the way that it is. And, and, and it's easy to develop that crust because we, we just get kind of cooked on the outside over time. And we get a little crusty and we get a little religious because not only do we start um, checking our boxes, we start checking other people's boxes too. We start taking other people's inventories. Some of you have already had that thought today, man, I'm so glad Grant is preaching about this because my wife needs to hear this so bad. I'm just... <laughs> Boy, I'm so glad that person's here, man. I'm glad my kid's here. They need this stuff. Come on, pastor, Preach. And we get a little crusty and we get a little legalistic and we start keeping rules. And when we don't like the way other people are living by God's rules, we make up our own. And we wonder why. We come to church on a weekend and the Holy Spirit of God is available like it's always available. And, and it hits us and it just runs right off. And we kind of wonder, church didn't hit me at all today. Like, Grant was off his game. Worship team, kind of missed that. Did you hear that intro? Oh, what? And it just runs right off. Because we think, I'm fine. I'm completely whole. And the Spirit keeps trying to penetrate and pour Himself out on us, and we just keep letting it run right off because we're good. We're good. What if you didn't need to be good? What if it was okay for you as a mature believer in Christ to be completely wrecked and broken today? I mean, what, what if God just shredded you? 
And he actually kept your attention the entire time so you weren't thinking about chicken wings and, and praying against the Patriots this afternoon. I mean, you're just like, you know. <laughs> I told you about judgment. Okay, all right, so. What if instead of being crusty today, you could be gloriously broken? What if the Holy Spirit would pour out into you and it actually soaked in? And what if he gave you a little bit more? And what if he gave you a little bit more? And what if you stayed patient and open and broken and willing and every day that seemed like you didn't know where else to turn, you just let God pour in a little bit more? And a little bit more. Is some of it going to leak out the bottom? Of course it is. You're, you're human. It's okay for you to admit that every once in a while it doesn't all stick. If it all stuck, we wouldn't be preaching about this this morning, would we? Because we'd be able to check all the boxes and go, I'm doing all the right things for all the right reasons. But what if the Spirit just kept pouring itself out on the broken? By the way, that's only half of it. There's a whole other half. And what if we were open to what God was doing and he kept pouring it out and we kept soaking it in? And instead of keeping other, taking other people's inventories, we just stayed really open and honest with, with ours? And we saw that, that actually being broken is beautiful where God comes from. I did a little experiment yesterday afternoon. It takes me about 30 minutes, but believe it or not, in this loaf of bread, I can pour an entire container of Holy Spirit if I'm just patient enough. And I don't lose a drop. Some of you came to church today and the truth is you were a little crusty. And you made some judgments and some thoughts and it got kind of stuck. I wonder if the solution to us being crusty is to actually be broken. And what if this was actually God's beautiful gift to you? To realize that, that this is actually beautiful. I wonder if in some small way that's what Jesus was saying when he said, this is my body which is broken for you. So all through the series, we've been giving you moments to think and process because I know a lot of this stuff is a little uh, heavy. And I appreciate belonging to a church where we can do some of this hard work, even on snowy Super Bowl Sundays. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that again. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and join me. I thought it was ironic that in the very first week of the series, Pastor Wendy um, gave, gave her talk and then she came to this moment and we introduced a song called New Wine. I thought that's somewhat ironic, knowing that, that for some people the reason they're on the 12-step journey is because of too much wine. Let's be honest. But I also thought how beautiful that, that we could actually take something like that and, and redefine it. Because God talks over and over again in Scripture about creating a new wine. 
In ancient culture, wine wasn't just a drink, it was a medicine, it healed. And what if God in our brokenness could allow us to, to be healed in the deepest part of our soul, not by trying to convince ourselves that we needed to keep it all together and put on another mask and pretend that everything was okay, but instead to, to embrace being broken before God, knowing that in those moments, that's when he does his best work. So the worship team's going to sing, we're going to think, process, and pray, and then I'll come back and we'll move on with our Sunday. Worship team, would you lead us? My prayer is that we would all embrace the breaking and that God would pour new wine into broken pieces to heal them so that we can exchange the flames of yesterday for a new fire, a Holy Spirit fire in our life today. May God help you do more than just check boxes on a list. May he show us what it means again today to fall in love with our first love. Would you stand with me as we close? Father God, we're about to go about a Sunday. We're gonna gonna head out and we're gonna do life. I pray that as you uh, rip up old ground, that there would be a fresh move of your spirit amongst the believers of Christ the King Church. God, I pray for those who may be here who've never had a relationship with Jesus and they're a little intimidated and scared by the bar that you set. God, may they know that, that there is no greater moment than finding your first love. And that obedience is a beautiful result of love. So God, whether we are veterans or new, wherever we are on this journey, I pray that we would embrace brokenness today, knowing that you'll never pull your hand away. So God, empower us, give us strength to live as the chosen people of God this week. And may we do it gloriously broken. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.